Holy Spirit, we just want to give you the space that in our hearts, God, for you to be able to move and to speak and to bring life and bring conviction, but above all else, Lord, to be able to bring a hallelujah out of our hearts, that we can give you all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Wasn't that amazing time of worship? Yeah? Let's give the Lord a hand again, yeah? You know, um, one of the things that I was speaking to Paul this week, you know, and he said this phrase, um, which I'd love to be able to claim as my own, but, you know, uh, but I thought it was very powerful. It's that, you know, we've been doing this um, church and we, we run services, we preach the word, we have worship, but it's the person of the Holy Spirit in the room that makes all the difference. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? It really is. And, and, and his ministry is personal. He's able to take something that is presented from the Word of God and make it so specific to where you are at and to what it is that you are going through because he knows your heart. He knows what is going on in your life. And I want to be able to lift the faith in this room that you come with expectation this morning. Can I hear an amen? amen. Expecting that the person of the Holy Spirit will minister to you and has something to say, yeah? We are not just uh, sermon bending machines, but you know what? We present the living Word of God, and when God has something to say, He begins to do something in our midst. And I, I've been praying uh, for this uh, as sermon, uh, you know, and oftentimes it's not something that, you know, you kind of study in your own kind of commentaries and all that kind of stuff, and you just churn something out, but really wrestled uh, in personal life uh, and the Word of God, and going, God, how do, how do you distill this to what you want to say and offer to your people this morning? And, and I really pray and believe that God's going to move this morning. Um, so we, let's get straight into it. We've been doing this whole series uh, that the Holy Spirit, He is more, and this is the vision of our church. Let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. To build disciples who represents Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with everything. And there is no way you and I can do that without the person of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be talking about understanding the Holy Spirit, who He is, and having correct theology and biblical truth around it. Each of us needing to experience the person of the Holy Spirit. And then now we're walking through into what does it look like to be empowered by the Spirit. And today I want to talk to you about how do we be empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome the struggles we have in life. And so let's go straight into Galatians chapter 5. This is where I'm going to preach from. Uh, we're going to read from verses 19 to 23. Uh, and this is the New Living Translation, and this is what it says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Who's quarreled this week? Put up your head. Yeah, anyone? Put up your head. Don't be shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quarreling, right? Uh, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And this is not a comprehensive list. And it says, and other sins like these. But, everyone say but. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, 
and self-control, there is no law against these things. And this is the word of the Lord. Lord God, we just pray that you would speak right now. May your word come down like a hammer to break down any strongholds that sets itself up against you. May it bring comfort to those who need it, but also may it bring conviction uh, into our heart so that you can take the first place in our life. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Now, um, we have a Sunday morning prayer in that room at 9 a.m., and I want to encourage you guys to come as much as you can at, at that time. But Ron White uh, did a session uh, probably about a month ago, I think, and he put this picture up. It's a picture of our uh, title, The Pentecost, by Juan Maino, which is a Spanish painter in the 1600s. And so it's a picture of, you know, as we know in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and the apostles and many others were there in that room praying, and, and, and it was a picture to capture that moment. And Ron led us through this exercise, which I'd kind of like to facilitate you th- it through with you right now, where he goes, look at that picture, and what do you notice? So look at the picture right now, what is it that you notice? And so as he walked us through that, and there was probably about, what, 20 of us in the room, some of us said, ooh. I see the dove, which represents the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's interesting. It didn't say the Spirit of God came upon us with tongues of fire. I wonder why the painter didn't put tongues of fire, but put the dove there. And then you start seeing that everyone has this posture of looking up. Right? And so they're all looking up. From, they almost like drop whatever it is they're doing, except maybe for one, the writer, but they were all looking up at the person of the Holy Spirit, and they're not looking at each other. There's no comparing. It's almost like the titles all drop. Who you are, what you do, all that doesn't matter because when you come into the presence of God, we are all in this place of awe and and, and respect and and revelation of who God is. And then we notice that um, the the guy with the, the orange drops this key, and that represents Peter, the apostle, who's been given the keys and, and yet, it's a, maybe a picture that represents where we drop what we hold as authority and submit that to the person of the Holy Spirit. When you look on the other side, on your, on your right, the person who is writing, and that is the Luke, who is an, uh, an educated man, who's a doctor by profession, a traveling companion of Paul. And here, perhaps, he could be describing the book of Acts uh, uh, under the inspiration, putting his intellect and his education in submission to the person of the Holy Spirit and inscribing that right then. And then you see the lady in the middle who actually represents Mary Magdalene and, and this woman who was a sinner but yet before God stands in the same equal footing as among everyone else because her past has been done with but before God uh, she is a daughter in Christ. Or we see Mary, who you see just above Peter, with a hand on the heart, receiving, but yet you see her hand standing out like that, also giving. Isn't that amazing what you can see out of a simple picture? Yeah? I wonder what you see. But I want to share with you the two things that I saw. The two things that I began to notice in that moment. The first was this that I I actually didn't see those characters. I began to see each and every one of you in that picture. It was some of us who are struggling 
with our health. It's a battle day by day. It's hospital visits. It's waiting and waiting and waiting. That you. I saw another picture of someone maybe having a marriage conflict as husband and wife, not being able to get along with one another and having that persistent arguments with one another. I saw another person who may be getting a promotion and with this drive of success, climbing up the corporate ladder. I saw another person struggling with their self-esteem and another person with their mental health and just going, God, where are you? And not being able to break through from that or someone who is having you know, a disconnect with their kids and worried about how they're going to uh, go off the rails and, and, and they're, they're, they're shutting down and stonewalling. Like, I began to see all that in that picture. I saw us. But then the second thing I saw was this question What would it take to get all of us to look up in those moments? Can I hear an amen? That we don't just have a Sunday Holy Spirit, we have a Monday Holy Spirit. We don't just have a Pentecost pause. Here, we have a Pentecost pause in your bedroom. Who will love that? Amen? Because that's the reality of the life that we live. Because I really believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. He does incredible miracles. He brings incredible healing. He brings incredible deliverance. I love the prophetic I love all these things, but yet there is one work of the Holy Spirit that oftentimes we don't talk about, which is the work of transformation. And in fact, when this series started, I shared this with the guys. I said, this is one of the pictures in the book of Acts that of the work of the Holy Spirit happening, a revival happening in Ephesus. And when you read in Acts chapter 19, preceding that, uh, Paul was being used to do incredible miracles. There was healing, there was deliverance, demon possession, deliverance, all that kind of stuff. But this is the bit that always captures me, and it says this in verse 17. The story of what had happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. Isn't that amazing? Imagine that happening. Imagine that kind of Pentecost pause where the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit purges sin and brokenness and instead brings in holiness. And all coming out. And I said to the team, you know what? When we start seeing mess, that's a good thing. Can I hear an Amen. Right? Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit bringing transformation into our life. And what's incredible is the value of the books was several million dollars. It began to have, the transformation began to have economic impact into the city. It wasn't just about us becoming better and feeling good about ourselves. The holiness that God was bringing into His people was starting to have social, economic, vocational implications into the city they were living in. Can I hear an amen? 
It was incredible. So much so, if you play it down, if you keep reading through the chapter, all the idol makers were saying, hey, we're running out of business. <laughs> right? And in fact, they're actually, you know, uh, going against our God, and then persecution came. But what I guess I want to share from here is that yet in the same vein, this Paul who saw this movement happening in the city of Ephesus is the same Paul here writing to the, the, in, in this book of Galatians, giving us a vision that when our life is empowered by the Spirit, this is the kind of change that's going to happen. It may not be a confession of sorcery or magic, but it will be a confession of the idols and false gods that we had hold dear to our heart, but God saying, let it go, confess, repent, and turn back to Him. A vision of a spirit-empowered life where we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. How many of us can say that we live that 24-7? Put up your hand. Anyone? But yeah, he's saying this is a vision of a spirit-empowered life. And the implication of this is not just, hey, this is good moral things. It's the kind of self-control that changes what happens at the home with domestic violence. It's the kind of self-control that changes what we say with our mouth. It's the kind of self-control that controls your anger, that controls the lust, that feeds the, the, the pornographic institutions. It's that kind of vision. When it talks about, uh, when it talks about patience, it's about long-suffering. It's the ability to endure your chronic illness, but with a sense of joy that God is still with you, even though things are not going according to plan. When it talks about peace, it's the kind of wholeness and shalom that comes upon your mind that it begins to set you free from the mental health struggles that you've been dealing with, easing the mental health services that's out there and providing a sense of breakthrough, relief to the family that, and the loved ones that seems to want to be there to care for you. It has implications that is more than just, well done, you're a good moral person. Can I hear an amen? But yet, if we were true to ourselves, we have this struggle. I have it. I'm definitely not perfect. Right? Right? Um, I, I remember we went, Eugenia and I went to a parenting seminar, and the lady opened up and goes, you know, I used to think I was a perfect parent until I had kids. <laughs> right? And, but yet, this is the struggle that we live in. On one hand, Paul giving us this vision of a spirit-empowered life. But on the other hand, we struggle with the desires of our sinful nature. The results are clear. We struggle with sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, um, hostility, idolatry, whether it might look like greed or, 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 or trying to look better than what you actually are. Uh, outbursts of anger, ambition, and competition, and division, and dissension. These things that Sin that, that ravages and impacts the world that we live in. And in those moments when we struggle, and I don't know what struggle you have right now. Some of you may not all be struggling. But I remember there are many moments that we, you know, if you look upon your life where you have been in those moments and in those places. And in the places where I say, God, how am I going to overcome this? God, Will I, how will I ever be able to change? God, where are you? I look back at my struggles. I remember my parents' divorce. 
And I was on, I was a uni student. I was. I remember I was in Willis Hill. I was on the steps, and I was going. I was alone. And I was going. God, how am I going to get through this? I'm like the youngest kid, the youngest person in my family. I remember coming out of my cancer and going, oh, well, you know, there's a death sentence in your head. Medically speaking, there's no cure. And I'm going, how on earth am I meant to live? How do I make decisions for my life? Right? Do I have a kid? Do I not? Do I just go and enjoy myself? Do I like all that kind of stuff? What about the pain and relational hurts that you've had? And to guard your heart against hatred and resentment and unforgiveness. I remember single parenting and going, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do this? I don't even know how to wash a woolen clothes, like, you know, jumper, you know? Or, or, or the times where you worry and, and you have concerns over your, your kids. Like, how are they going to turn out? Or, or, or the times when I'm going dating and going, do I look good enough? Right? Or to worry whether my future wife will be able to connect with my kids. I mean, I don't know what your worries are, but whatever those worries are, they might lead us to this place of asking those questions. God, how am I going to overcome this? God, will I ever be able to change? God, where are you? If you love me, why do these things happen? But yet, this is the encouragement I want to give you this morning, that God is with you in your struggle. Can I hear an amen? Because you know what? You know where God was in those moments? Living inside you, in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. You know when you have like stuff at home that happens, and then when someone calls you on the phone, you go, Hello. It's like, rah, 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 rah. Hello. Pastor Chi here. God bless you. Right? And you're like, whew, I'm glad no one sees that. Maybe your kids, your wife. But the Holy Spirit sees that. He hasn't left the building. Like, he shares the same house. Like, sometimes I think I'm the worst housemate ever. Like, he sees my dirty dishes, he sees my dirty thinking. Like, he sees all my dirty habits. He sees whether, you know, you and I bring our phones into our toilet. Like, you know, like, I don't know, do you? Right? But the point is, he sees everything. But yet, he chose to cleanse us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And through repentance and faith, makes a way for this temple to become a holy temple in which his presence through the person of the Holy Spirit, can now dwell so that He can now be with you. In, even in your struggle, in your most ugly and darkest places, God, the Holy Spirit, had never left the building because He is your helper. Can I hear an amen? amen. He sees everything. He feels the pain that you feel. And yet God said, I'm going to send this person, the Holy Spirit, to be your helper in that. You know, Tim Keller, who passed away, an amazing man of God who's left an incredible legacy, one of his beautiful statements, he says this, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope for. And a beautiful statement. Now I know Eugenia, my wife, sees that part of me, but Jesus sees even more. And that creates an incredible sense of love. I feel like God is the safest person I can ever go to. Seriously, the safest person I can ever go to. I, I don't have to put any 
like masks on or face on. I can come as I am with my mess. Because that is the depth of his love. He sees the ugliness, but yet in that, he still loves me so much. And that space is the space in which now the Holy Spirit comes to help us. And I want to share to answer this question, how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to overcome our struggles in life? And this is how Paul gives this key insight. I want to share three things. And I've kind of studied the word reflected upon my life and go distilled it and go, okay, God, what do you want me to share? And this is what I want to share. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Because if you do, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when, everyone say when, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. And here Paul gives us this simple instruction, the key insight to overcome our struggles. How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to enable us to overcome all those things? He just simply says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And when I first heard that, I'm going, thank you. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do you do it? Well, this is how I will try my best to explain. The first is this. Have the courage to surrender. I had a friend, uh, he's a pastor friend, and he, he talked about his daughter. He always had this personality that was very strong-willed. And he talked about this occasion, this was about a month ago. And then he was just sharing about how uh, he lived by the river, and he watched his daughter, who was really young at that time, and she started walking out onto the river. And there were mangrove-like roots. So even though she was kind of on the edge, let's say this is the river, and she was on the edge of the bank, she was still walking fine. And when the water was down, there was mud. And then oftentimes it'd say, don't go there, don't go there. But, you know, she wants to do what she wants, right? And then eventually she gets deeper, deeper, and then she gets stuck, right? And I said to him, what do you do as a father? I'm like, what did you do? He goes, well, I stood and watched until she wanted me to help her. Because <laughs> she's so strong-willed. Right? So it was not until she got stuck. That's one thing. But the second thing is when you're stuck, you're humble enough to go help me. Right? And then it dawned on me when he shared the story, I'm going, oh my goodness, as a father, if you do it any other time before that, you are seen as fighting you. Seen as fighting their daughter. They have the daughter needed to reach a place where they were stuck. They were at the end of their limits, but yet humble enough to go, okay, I can't get myself out of this. White flag, I surrender. Help me. Only then is the help seen for what it is. And for us to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, the Holy Spirit will never enforce himself on you. He is the Father who watches and says, will you let me? And that's why this is the way I would describe it. 
The end of ourselves always marks the beginning of God's ruling power in our lives. And surrendering ourselves to God is like opening a door and it lets the Holy Spirit come in to help and guide us. Amen? I found so many times to reach to that place. I'm not saying just verbally saying, God, I trust you. I'm talking about at the heart level. When we are facing a challenging situation at work, you try everything you can to try and think of to resolve the issue, but nothing seems to be working. You reach an end to what you can do. That end. The end where you've tried everything to muster, to restrain your anger, but you seem to come short over and over and over again. That end. That end when you're trying to be patient to your family member and they just keep getting at you and you just go over and over again and you try to be patient with your kids or whatever and you reach that limit. Whatever that end is for you, that as hard as it is, when I look back upon my life, as hard as those limits are, but yet those ends marks the beginning of God's ruling power in my life. And it would happen when I begin to go at the heart level and go, God, I surrender. It's risky. We're so used to being in control. Sometimes whatever history you've gone, past, gone through in your past, you can't trust people. And you project that onto God. No, I don't trust you, God. How do I know you've got my good at the end? I'm not experiencing that right now. But yet, take the risk. Have the courage to surrender. Because it's opening the door to say, God, have your way. Now, can I have Paul? Uh, who's, got, who's got an old phone? Anyone got an old phone? Who's got an old phone? Okay, I'll, I'll just use your, your phone. Can, can I have your phone? Yeah? See how, how quickly it is that she gave it to me, right? Uh, okay, who's got a more expensive phone? Who wants to give it to me, right? Anyway, so if you can hold that, all right? You know, oftentimes, surrender looks a bit more like this. She can hold her phone closed-fisted, or she can hold her phone open-handed. Right? Sometimes we hold our life, our decisions, our need for control, everything like this, and God is like, oh. But in order for God to give it, if you take that, yeah, uh, if you can hold it in your open hand. So I'm trying to use this analogy off, off the top of my head. God swaps this phone and he goes, here you go. This is better. It is better. <laughs> it, is, it is definitely better. <laughs> so I just gave it to her. I said, God, give me another one. <laughs> A better one, right? My, my point being, when you have an open hand, it's not just letting go. It's also the way you can actually receive the things that God needs to give you. And that's the place of surrender. When you come and you just go, okay, God, I surrender. What does this look like? Open-handed. What does it look like? Kneeling down. I believe in some of these practices. You kneel down before God in whatever struggle you are. That physical representation is actually saying, God, I've got nothing, man. But you are my everything. Some of the surrender that we need to do, an example. I remember when I was a younger Christian, I used to struggle with lust and you just sin over and over again. And this, I'm saying that very open and raw for everyone, right? 
because I know it's true for every, a lot of us. But the thing is, you feel like you fail and fail, whatever it might be, if it's not that, something else. You fail, you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail. How can I keep coming before God? Haven't I made my promises to God and said, I will change, I will change, I will change, but you don't. But yet, I remember one day reading Hebrews. And in Hebrews, it says, We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness, but yet was without sin. So therefore, approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that you may receive the grace that you need in your time of need. Amen? And in that moment, it spoke to me, because it was God saying, You know what? The bit that I needed to do was surrender my pride. Surrender my self-righteousness. That no matter how many times I've failed, the only thing by which I can approach God by is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. Even in my failure, I have nothing. But Christ's righteousness is everything. And it opens it up so that I can receive the grace, the divine enablement of God that I need to overcome my situation is found there. But yet, that's the very thing that Satan wants to do to disconnect you from the power source that gives you the ability to overcome your sin. Can I hear an amen? So surrender our pride, our self-righteousness and self-worth by coming to Him. Surrender our need for control and certainty by seeking to listen. I remember, uh, this was probably a few years ago, I was connecting with quite a few other Christians in different fields and different spaces and leaders. And then I began to feel quite insecure. I don't have the same experiences these guys have. I don't have the same exposure. I don't know. And I, I kind of grew up in a family that oftentimes tells you I don't know enough. Right? And then I started feeling a little bit insecure and I need to control and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, I read Matthew 11. And Matthew 11 is where Jesus is saying this. He goes, Father... I thank you that you did not reveal these things to all these sophisticated and no results. But you chose to hide it from them. But it is to your great pleasure to reveal it to those who don't know. And that is the way you work. Can I hear that, amen? When I heard that, I'm going, I felt this phrase God say to me, I don't know is a great position to be in, in the kingdom of God. And at that point, I had to surrender my need for control and certainty. Because uncertainty breeds insecurity and we scramble to find answers, to find certainty, to feel safety, to to find a way forward. But when you think you know, God conceals His ways from you. And when you think you know, you stop seeking Him. When you think you know, you don't approach Him open-handed, but you come with your predetermined agendas. You trust your own wisdom. You become less inclined to listen. You have intelligence without curiosity. But yet, to surrender my need to know is the doorway to access the things that God knows. Can I hear an amen? The wisdom that we need for our complex situations that cannot be read in a book or just given by some intellectual but by the wisdom of God who knows your specific situation, who you are, and tailor-make it in a way that you need to hear it that enables you to do what you need to do. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But it comes through surrender. Surrender worldly wisdom by seeking the truth. 
I don't know where you go to find your wisdom to deal with the things you need to deal with. But yet, the, I know when I read the Word of God, it says the Spirit of God leads us into all truth. So what does His Word say about the thing you're wrestling with? Position yourself there. Surrendering means I'm going to surrender worldly wisdom and pursue to seek His truth. And I want to say this last thing. Surrender your striving so that you can be, have a confident posture that God will guide you no matter what. You know, I remember early in the days when I was trying to work out how do you know how to relate to the Holy Spirit. I had this picture in my mind, right? So sometimes it says, the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God and He will reveal it to you. Yeah? So, but sometimes this is how insecure we are as Christians. Imagine Paul is the Holy Spirit, right? And he's like, Paul, speak to me. Tell me the answer. Help me. Like, we kind of approach God like that. Right? In this desperation. The hunger is good, but sometimes underneath that, there's no certainty and confidence that He's going to guide you. But you surrender your striving, and you go, you know what? It's His job to guide me. And when there's surrender, it's like, I know He will guide me. It's just how. It's just when. And all of a sudden, there's a posture that looks to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit in and through everything. Can I hear an amen? Is this helpful? Okay, let's keep going. The second thing is then it says here, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires. Everyone says desires. Desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And here it begins to talk about, this is the second phrase, let him battle for the desires of your heart. Now I'll give some definitions here. The word flesh actually doesn't mean your physical flesh. It actually means that sinful nature, that self-centered, orientated self that wants to do what it wants without God. My way, not God's way. Yeah? And that still used to live by itself as a single person in the house until the Holy Spirit came into your house. And now it starts to challenging it and goes, no, this is what I want. And then the simple nature is saying, no, this is what I want. But what's interesting is that the Holy Spirit helps us by taking us on this journey to address the battle that is not with people, not with circumstances, but that is within our hearts. The desires within our hearts. The word desires there actually means over-desires. It's this life-controlling, life-ruling desire. An over-desire that I must have that, and if I don't have it, I'm going to get angry and do what I can to get it. That over-desire, that desire that takes, overrides the desire for God. The desire for approval. The desire to be right. The desire for security and control. We all have those desires, but we're talking about an over-desire. Yeah? where he almost puts God off the throne as if he's no longer in control. But yet, here, this is the key insight, is the Holy Spirit that helps us overcome by first changing the desires of our heart before other people and circumstances. Amen. So in those moments of struggle, my tendency is this. I don't know what it is for you, but it's like, oh, he did that. He said that. If this situation wasn't like this, how many of us do that? Or is it just me? 
You guys leaving me alone? Is it just me? Right. Is it you? Yeah. But we do that. But here I began to learn is that actually the Spirit of God, you know, while we're busy doing this, trying to overcome our struggles, the Holy Spirit grabs our finger and points it back and goes like this. And he goes, you know the desires of your heart? Let's start there. Because the Holy Spirit first changes the desires of our heart before other people and circumstances. Amen? That's why it's not a self-help program. It is a God-help program. That's why in Galatians 3, it actually says, you first received the Holy Spirit by believing in faith. Now you're trying to perfect yourself by the flesh. Right? But this is us learning how to work with the Holy Spirit. And I've realized that when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we begin with surrender, but what he begins to do is point the finger back and he goes, let's start first at the heart. Because we live out of our hearts. What does Jesus say? Out of the heart comes anger, lust, murder, all that kind of stuff, right? All these things come out of our hearts. The situations we experience exposes what's in the heart. But it doesn't cause the sin in our heart. Can I hear an amen? And that can be a very hard thing to listen to. But we need to go on this journey to allow God to help us look inward with the battle of our hearts. For example, um, now, my wife and I, Eugenia and I, never fight. Now, you're all calling me a liar, aren't you? Right? Well, we do, we do, right? How many of us fight? Put up your hand. Oh, thank you. Now I've got more hands. That's good, that's good. Okay. Right? And so in this, I remember Eugenia and I were having a bit of a tiff or whatever, and then in my mind, it's like... It's all her fault. God, you know, the woman that you gave me. And you know what? In that place of surrender, God brought three things. One, he brought me to Genesis. And he said, you know, Adam goes, look at the woman that you gave me. And then God was like, you're doing that too. I'm like, And then the second thing was, you can't, like, we're newly married, it's like, like, whoa, amazing. And then all of a sudden you're having arguments, right? It's like, hang on. <laughs> but then God brought to my memory, isn't that what happened in Genesis, where Adam goes, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, awesome. And next thing you know, one, two chapters ago, look at the woman you gave me. I'm like, that was like me. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, it's sin, right? Then the third thing, he just made this statement, so simple. Don't fight with your wife. Fight for your wife. Amen. And in that, he turned his finger and just turned it around. But are we, do we feel that he's a safe person? A safe space? Because he doesn't point it for condemnation. He points it out for freedom. Do you want to be free? Do you want to walk in that freedom that we sing about? Well, in my experience, I don't know what yours is, of the Holy Spirit. It often goes like this. And it always starts here. 
Ask the why beneath your behavior. Oftentimes we do things, but we don't ask why. What is it that's underneath that? The desire that drives me to do those things. That is the bit that the Holy Spirit wants to get to. To transform. Because you can't just change your behavior and expect it to change. It doesn't work like that. He changes first our desires. So for example, you have fear to speak out in public. Is it because your self-worth is based on your performance? Are you overscheduling and not being able to say no? Is it because you desire people-pleasing so much that you will put everything out of balance? You know, you have financial stresses, and as a business owner, conflicts with your staff. I remember talking to a business owner once, and then he confessed greed. And he realized in the conversation, he had greed, he confessed it, and then he right-sized his staff's salary. Some of us might be retirees criticizing the next generation, but ask why? Is it because we're sensing a sense of purposelessness right now? A sense of who am I in this season and time? I don't know. I'm not saying it is. But I'm asking you to do the why. And the Holy Spirit will take you on to the journey of knowing the why. And don't be afraid to hear the hard thing. I heard this phrase, sometimes we want to do the easy thing, but what we need to do is the healthy thing. And the Holy Spirit does the healthy things. And sometimes it requires us hearing the hard things. I remember when my late wife had passed away, it would have been five years, it was on Monday. But I remember trying to go, how do I reimagine life? You can't change those circumstances. But then all of a sudden, I read Proverbs 15, 15, and it says, for the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. And in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit giving me this vision, going, you know what? If you have a happy heart, you can feast in life. Can I hear an Amen doesn't matter what you're going through in your life. No matter what situations you're facing, if your heart is happy in the Lord, you can feast in life. What does it say in Psalm 23? You have made a table that I can feast in before my enemies. Amen? In the valley of the shadow of death. Allow the Holy Spirit to battle for the desires of your heart. There's so much to talk about. I won't go there. I'm going to do the last one. If I can get Danny out, that'd be great. And this is Galatians 22, 25. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Just reinforcing the stuff I was talking about, right? But if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And my last thing is this. Take one step of trust at a time. Take one step of trust at a time. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit requires trust, not logic. Yeah? I remember I had this picture in my mind. Imagine a blindfold, right? Because you can't see the Holy Spirit. It's not like me walking hand in hand with Paul, you know? Not that I walk hand in hand with Paul, that's weird. (laughs) 
keep you hanging, walking hand in hand with me. <laughs> but it requires trust. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. It's like us having a blindfold and someone leading us. And we just go like this. And we just go like this. And you're all thinking, I'm going to walk off this edge. Right? But to keep in step requires trust, not logic. That's why you have to experience the Holy Spirit. You can't just study Him. You trust Him in one step. And trust gets built one step of trust at a time. And there are so many times, I've got a strong mind, but I remember how that was brought into submission in my cancer and was going, the greatest level of intimacy with God is spirit to spirit. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him, except it's revealed to us by His Spirit. So no matter how intelligent or or intellectual you are, you cannot figure the Holy Spirit out. He will only reveal Himself to you and all you can do in response is to trust Him. To keep in step with the Holy Spirit is to be trust. And there are so many times now in the way I lead the church and I try to lead my life is I go, Holy Spirit, how are you leading it? It sounds very intellectual when you guys hear it when I do it, but that's not it. Underneath all of it, it's always this. It's going, is that you, Spirit? Is that you? Is that the step you want me to take? I don't know. Is that you? And you go, it doesn't kind of make sense, but it feels like you. It feels like last time when I did that and it showed that you were God. Okay, I'll trust it. One step of trust at a time. Learn to trust and walk His way and His timing. We think God needs to work with us in a certain way. But we've got to trust His way. It's so multidimensional. When He tells us to do something, He's so strategic that you can only understand it in hindsight. I won't, it's too much to talk about. I won't go there. Last one. Don't micromanage Him. How many of us hate micromanagers? Yeah, yeah, all the yeah, yeah. Well, don't do it to God. Right? Don't micromanage Him. Instead of trying to figure out all the details and control every aspect, surrender your fears, anxiety to the Holy Spirit. Trust His guidance. You take the initial step. It will open the door to another step. It will open the door to another step. It will open the door to another step. It will take you sideways. It will take you long ways. But yet, at the way, it is the best way. And then you'll realize in hindsight, I understand why he did it that way. I needed to be formed and to deal with that fear. Oh, I understood now why we needed to do that way because the other person needed to have this change in their life before you guys can meet. Like you begin to see the multidimensional thinking of God and how he works and you just go, why would I think that I need to know everything? I just need to keep in step, one step of trust at a time. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? So what, when I look and I go, always a Christ-centered preaching, right? right? Christ-centered preaching, those who are gospel-centered people here. Jesus, surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. He wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He died to the idol of approval, to the idol of people pleasing, to the idol of needing to prove himself to be God. Because he is God. Nothing to prove. But yet with that one step onto that cross, it led to the next step three days later, which is he rose three days later and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And with that simple one step of obedience, we are bearing the fruit of what Jesus has Christ has done and purchased on that cross for us. So let us follow Jesus in his ways. So I don't know what struggles you're going through right now. So what we're going to do is I want to call for a response. We're going to get the team up. Let's rise to our feet, yeah? I want to call for a response of a few things. Now, first of all, I want to invite the prayer team up here. That'd be great. We want to be able to pray for you. Remember, this altar is not just a place for problems, but a place of submission, a place of sacrifice. It's a place of worship, a place of prayer. It's a place of encounter. Yeah? And the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that we had a word of heal, a knowledge for healing. For those who have stomach cramps, stomach issues, you might have neck pain or a pinched nerve in your back. Or even some of us who might have been recurring nightmares, especially at night. We really believe the Lord wants to heal you. Yeah? But this is what I want to be able to ask for you guys. So open your hands. I want you to think about the struggle that you are in right now. If you have one. If you don't, that's fine. Just open your hands. And I want you to go through that process. Have the courage to surrender right now. You've tried so many different ways to find your way through this. But you have not tried to surrender. Jesus is saying, have the courage. Trust me. Surrender. My way is better than your way. Look at what your way has taken you, where it's taken you. The second thing is, as we're singing this song, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit Take me on that inward journey and show me the desires of my heart. Are you the most important thing in my heart or are there other desires that's ruling my heart in this situation? And then thirdly, God, what is that one step of trust that you need me to make today? So let me just pray and then we're going to worship the Lord and I'm just going to give space for the Holy Spirit to work, yeah? So Lord God, I just really want to come before you right now. Bring myself, your people, God. We lift our lives before you. We see the vision that you have for us, God. Of a spirit-empowered life of love, gentleness, patience, kindness. But God, we know that we fall short in so many ways so often. But Lord God, you have not left us alone. But in fact, you've given us your helper. Help us know how to help, allow you to help us. Help us surrender. Help us go on an inward journey. And help us to take that one step of trust. I pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to move right now in the hearts of every single person for their own unique situation, that you'll give them the very thing it is that they need to take that step this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.